Welcome to another inspirational message from the lead pastor of North Hills Church, Doug Green. It is our prayer that you are strengthened and encouraged by this message. Now prepare your hearts to hear from God today. In Mark, we have a story uh, called Jesus Praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he prays in a way that expresses his humanity, and we are, we are wise to watch his model and allow it to help us in our own pain. Three times in the book of Mark, Jesus prays alone. In Mark chapter 1, early in the morning, Jesus goes off and prays. That's at the beginning of his ministry. In Mark chapter 6, in the middle, before a significant amount of a confrontation from the religious leadership, Jesus goes to the mountainside to pray. And here in Mark chapter 14, we see Jesus having to pray alone. So Mark likes uh, sets of three. And in this story, you're going to see three disciples who were chosen, Peter, James, and John, right? Three prayer times that they'll have three returns to the uh, three sleepers, and three corrections. I understand if you're tired this morning because you lost an hour of sleep and you might fall asleep. However, this is, uh, this is, this is uh, what needs to take place in the gospel. Hey, you guys, if you can find that little white apple one that's in my bag, I think, and just swap it out, I think we'll be in better shape. Before, now let's go to the next slide. There are two great metaphors in this passage, and that is there's the cup and there's the olive press. Um, pay attention to those. The olive press isn't mentioned in English. It's mentioned in the name Gethsemane, which means the place where you make olive oil. You take the olives and you press them and make olive oil. Next. Now the context of Gethsemane is uh, very important. This story doesn't just appear anywhere, but it's, it's sandwiched in between uh, what might, you might see as Jesus having experienced some human pain. First of all, he would say at the Last Supper, which we looked at last week, that Judas would betray him the very next passage is that he will say his disciples will abandon him, and then he will say to Peter, you're going to deny me. And then there's the Garden of Gethsemane, that story that we're going to look at today. And, and then afterwards, guess what happens? Um, uh, Judas betrays him, uh, the disciples abandon him, and Peter denies him. So Jesus knows what he's about to face, and just in the terms of relational stuff, which, by the way, that's typically what causes our greatest pain, you can take a shot, you know, to the gut, and you can recover faster than you can take a shot to a broken relationship. So next, uh, let's read the passage together, paying attention to what God wants to say. Uh, Verse 33, we begin. Uh, he took Peter. I'm sorry, go back to verse 32. 
<laughs> they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with them, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. He prayed, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. <laughs> Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? This is the guy who said, I will never do that. I'll never deny you. Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found, again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This passage ends with Jesus submitting fully to the will of God. That word enough, which is an imperative, he's commanding it, is uh, not just a command to them to stop sleeping, stay awake, to pay attention. It also can be translated as a word that means paid in full. It's almost like before he gets on the cross, he says, it is done, enough. Here I go, rise, let us go. In the same way that he'll say to the disciples at the end uh, of uh, his earthly visit, he'll say to them, go into all the world. He says to them in the beginning of their ministry, come, follow me. Here he goes towards what he knows will be his death on the cross, and he does it out of obedience. All right, so... Three disciples, there are three prayers, there are three returns to the sleepers, right? And then there are three uh, corrections. So let's read it again with a little bit more emphasis towards the uh, process. Go ahead. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He's talking to... Um, the 11, because Judas isn't there. So now he's going to take three, and he's going to leave eight outside on the outer perimeter. Now we go to the next slide. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be so deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. So the four of them go further along, and he tells those three to stay. And then, we're good? Hey, hey, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? 
Couldn't you keep watch for one hour, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now here's the second um, prayer, the return and correction. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. I've inserted in there that whatever the same thing is. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And once again, second time, he comes back, he finds them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Speaking of heavy eyes, we picked Ron at the airport after a 20-plus-hour flight from Africa to Los Angeles, and we said, would you like to go see something on our way home? She's at LAX, and she says, yes. How about we get to Hollywood in Beverly Hills? And uh, she's very excited, and we're driving up to 405, and I see her like this. (laughs) You know, and it's nine hours difference there, so it's... 11 hours different, so it's exactly opposite. Her body, she's trying to stay awake, but she has, uh, she's supposed to be getting up and starting her next day, and her eyes are very heavy. And I'm driving by the Beverly Hills sign, and I look over, and, and I just have this great compassion. Because I know what it's like to be so tired, it's hard to stay awake. Nothing like a time zone. They're embarrassed. They did not know what to say to him. Did it twice. <laughs> Once again, there's a third time. Abba Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. You're not what I will, but what you will. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? <laughs> the answer was, uh, Whoops, yes. Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes, here he comes with a bunch of soldiers and chief priests and religious people, which we'll talk about next week. Here comes my betrayer, Judas. How do we face great pain? Well, we face it through prayer. And through prayer, and only through prayer, are we going to be able to gain the strength that we need in order to face the pain that we cannot handle? When something is way too big for you, you can try to fix it yourself, which is what we often try to do, and often it only gets worse. Or you can turn to God and pray and allow Him to give you the strength that you would never have unless He shows up. Here we see Jesus in great distress. He's deeply troubled. He's deeply distressed. He's overwhelmed with sorrow. People say, that's so odd that you're talking about the Lord of the universe, that he has that kind of capacity for falling apart, it seems. Jesus is overwhelmed with everything that he's carrying. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's just quoting from the Psalms. Why so downcast, O my soul? He's speaking um, honestly, authentically, talking about the pain 
that it seems it's so great that he doesn't know how he's going to be able to continue. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you don't know how you're going to make it through the day. You don't know how you're going to be able to even wake up tomorrow and face the pain once again. This is what Jesus is experiencing. It's interesting because uh, a lot of people have trouble accepting that this is a story of Jesus. And what's interesting is Mark is the only one who really stresses it. In the Gospel of, uh, of Matthew, it only says that he's, uh, he's, uh, he's praying in a, a lament. And in Luke, it doesn't mention it at all. But Mark makes a clear indication in the story that he's telling that Jesus is psychologically, is emotionally, deeply distressed. Hebrews chapter 5 validates it. Verse 7 and 8, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, son of God though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. His deep pain was not wasted upon what God had planned for the people on this earth that he loved. Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. It says, uh, as he returns to his disciples, he says to them, uh, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Remember the Lord's Prayer? This is essentially what he taught them to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He knows that these fellows don't have the human capacity to handle the load that they currently have, and they certainly don't have it to handle the load that they will have. It says that their flesh is weak. Now, I just want to tell you something that I, I'm super encouraged by, and that is that um, in your agony and in your pain, it's never wasted on God. Why in the world would a good God allow us to suffer agony and pain? How in the world does he use that for his purposes? Well, he does. The Bible tells you all over the place that this is what God does. He uses this pain for his purposes in your life. Obviously, it's a part of the refining. We sang a song earlier, Jocelyn sang, let us in a song of, of, uh, of what happens when new wine is made. It takes a pressing to make it happen. God never wastes our failures for his purposes. Our failures, um, when they begin to stack up, you have the possibility of being highly discouraged and ready to quit, or you have the possibility of, in your failure, finally giving up, as we say, letting go of your rope and taking a hold of God's rope. And the good news for the disciples is that 
they are failing over and over again uh, multiple times, even down to the last days of Jesus' ministry, they're failing, but it's not wasted on God because in their failure, they're going to go hide away and then Jesus is going to come to them and he's going to promise them power from on high, from the Holy Spirit. And you get to Acts chapter 2 and God pours out the Holy Spirit on them in the upper room and out of that pouring out of his Spirit, he takes these fragile, broken failures and he supernaturally overwhelms them and now they're ready to receive it because they're not full of themselves anymore. Do you get what God is doing in our failures, in our disappointments? We begin to have a broken view of ourselves, and we're ready to receive the thing that God wants to give us all along. <laughs> Having weak flesh is the exact ingredient you need to receive the almighty power of God. Don't waste your sorrow. Don't think that God isn't with you. He's using it to help you be prepared for what he has for you in the days ahead. The secret is told in these two verbs at the beginning of this command, watch and pray. Watch is that part that you do. Just be wise. Pay attention. Uh, keep your eyes open. These are the things that Jesus is telling them all the time. You go back all the teachings in the first 13 chapters, Jesus is constantly telling them to watch. Be diligent. Be wise. Pay attention to what's going on around you. That's why you need to have your eyes open. And that's something that you can do out of obedience. And then you also pray, which means that you recognize that you can't get it done. You need God to give the power and the strength and to make it happen. And the possibility of you doing what you can and asking God to do what only He can and depending upon Him in trust to make it happen, God does incredible things in the lives even when they're broken. Got it? What happens when you are at a place where you feel like you failed, you feel like you're sad, you feel like you're broken, you're living in pain, you can't endure? Look at the options. Option number one, Judah says, I'm going to switch sides. I'm not hanging out with these losers. I don't want to be a loser. I'm out of here. And it happens all the time in great times of pain that people turn their back on God and walk away as if the other side's going to help them be more fulfilled. And they just experience the same pain, but now they don't have a God to help them. Option number two is run away, desert. They all do this. I know what it's like to be deeply hurt and to want to leave, to flee, to get out of town. I know what that's like. The marriage isn't going well, and it just seems like the pain is too great, and you want to run away. And often, that's what happens. This didn't stay a little too long. Your uh, job is hard. Your relationship is broken. You just want to run away, flee. Option number three 
Peter denies association. I don't know that man. But the only good option is the one provided by Jesus. Which do you face the pain and the troubles that are coming your way, you face them head on, and you submit in obedience to God. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prays this prayer, which becomes a model for us when we are facing pain. Number one, he talks to God with affection, and so should you. Abba, Father. This is an affectionate term used for the father figure of God. Jesus is doing something extraordinary here, and the New Testament will pick up on it. Paul will later in Romans chapter 8 talk about praying Abba, Father. Here's this connection. You're not talking to a distant God who couldn't give a rip about you. You're talking to a God who is very deeply in tune with what's going on. He loves you like a good father. Secondly, after addressing him with affection and spending time in praise and adoration and all that stuff, Jesus claims what is true. And you should too. Hey, God, I can't get this figured out, but everything is possible for you. With God, all things are possible. There's nothing that God can't do. His arm is never too short. He has the ability to make something happen. And in that time of distress, sometimes you claim the promises of God. I mean, just a simple promise that God, you have the ability to make this happen. And then here's the request. Take this cup from me. God, would you take the pain that is so great right now I can't hardly function? God, would you heal my sick body? God, would you come and somehow, I don't know how you're going to do it, but would you heal my broken marriage? Because, once again, he's your affectionate father, and guess what? Everything's possible for him. You're asking him to do something that you can't do, but it's not impossible for God. And I think it's always important. You're swinging for the fence. You're asking for the impossible. You're living in faith. You're claiming the promises of God. (laughs) You're, 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 You're moving forward with authority and power that is given to you in Jesus' name but it's super important to get yourself out of the equation. I don't want you to do what I want you to do. I want me to do what you want to do. It's not my will, but it's your will. I love the yet and the but. Yet, I'm asking you to do, to take this cup. Is there some other way? I don't have to follow through with this. Yet, even though I've asked you to do something impossible, yet... Not what I will, but what you will. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, it's heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Wait. Thy kingdom come, thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is so important for you to pray that you do the will of God. Not that God does your will. 
You don't tell God what God does. God does what God does according to wisdom that we'll never understand. What's important for you is to take yourself out of the equation and make it about God. All right. Two visuals, and then we're going to sing. First one is the cup. This is the cup of God's wrath. It's very rooted in the Old Testament. It's going to be poured out. Um, it's going to be poured out, God's wrath, against sin, against brokenness, against the ways people hurt each other. Poured out, and somebody um, has to pay the price. Jesus is going to go, the cup that he's talking about, may this cup, may you, you know, have this cup pass from me. And you think to him, why is Jesus so distressed about dying? I mean, lots of martyrs die and they're happy about it. They go, to, they go to their death with smiles on their face. Jesus is the King of Kings. It's not that he's just afraid about the physical impacts of death. This is what is distressing him to the point where he's falling on the ground. Is he's taken on the cup. So let me explain to you. Um... Well, first of all, let's say that all of us were able to collectively come up with all of our junk, our sin, all right? Let's say that. <laughs> um, and I've, I've got my list, you got your list. Anybody sinless in here? Seeing no hands? Uh, I assume that we're all full of sin. So now we're going to take all of our collective sin, and I'm going to demonstrate to you, um, and there's some, you know, Clint over there, you know, uh, let's see, uh, Rich over here, um, Ed, you know, there's some sin in here, right? Uh, <laughs> not even talking about me, right? <laughs> yeah. David, yeah, we're talking about you, buddy, okay? Your sin. All right. So all of that combined together, and this is what Jesus That was actually a little more than I meant to put in there. So, <laughs> what's the big deal for Jesus? Well, just in the last hundred years, think about the um, genocides. 1.5 million Armenians. Stalin killed 7 million people. The Nazi Holocaust killed Six million. Cambodian uh, killing fields, two million. These are rough estimates. Rwanda, 1994, 800,000. Bosnia, Herzegovina, 200,000. And all of a sudden, Jesus knows about that, and we're talking about those kind of genocides. That's just the last hundred years. That does include the thousands of years that people have been hurting each other. In uh, since 1993, 61,789,526 abortions in the United States, which is a person who doesn't get to grow up like we did. Worldwide, since 1980, 
1.5 billion. And all of a sudden you have this great sense of heaviness that Jesus is carrying. Um, 24 people per minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking. That's 12 million women and men in the United States alone over the course of a year. And all of a sudden, you know, we begin to see what Jesus is dying for. He knows about all of this. Um, there's 44,965 Americans every year that will die um, because of suicide. And almost all of them because of Great Depression cloud that it's hard to understand, hard to unravel. Many of you have experienced that and you know the difficulty that leaves. Every day, 123 Americans die by suicide. There's one death by suicide in the U.S. every 12 minutes and it's estimated that global annual suicide fatalities would rise to over 1.5 million people this year. In 2020, the pain of that, and it's, it's part of what the cup is all about. Not just his physical death, he's carrying all of this. 67,367 people in 2018 died of drug overdose in the United States. That's 68% of those deaths involved prescription or an illicit opioid. It's an epidemic in the region where Brenda grew up in Ohio. On average, 130 Americans die every day from an opioid overdose. Paul will mention in Galatians chapter 5, right before the fruit of the Spirit, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, times thousands of years, fits of rage, selfish ambition, put me in there, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Take all of my sin, all of your sin, all of the sins of those who went before him, after him, and the brokenness that comes when Satan has his way. And now you have this cup where God's going to pour out his wrath upon Jesus Christ. When you're feeling like you can't handle it, this is what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. How great his sacrifice. And no wonder he asked for the cup to be solved some other way. My junk is in there. Yours. Jesus Christ pays the price and he goes to the garden and he sweats drops of blood knowing about that. Last thing, 
musicians can come up and join me. Here's the image of the olive, olive press. And why Gethsemane matters to us. It takes some olives and this represents my, my life, your life, so perfect. And we begin to, you know, press them and squeeze them. And an olive press is a violent action. It's an action where these olives are being squeezed and pressed and, and God takes all of our stuff and he's squeezing out that which is going to be a beautiful thing. Israel's super proud of their olive oil and the olive oil that was made in Gethsemane is a beautiful thing. You know, just the other day, I ran into a person who used to go to the church here, and they were just telling me about how, how um, incredible their life is now. <laughs> and I, I don't know why it bothered me so much, because I really like this person. And, and they actually left our church well. But you know what I did? I was at the post office. I stood there and started talking about all the great things that we're doing, that I'm doing. And I, I just, I don't know what happened to me. I think, I keep thinking I'm going to get over that. And yet, I got into my truck and drove away, and I felt really sad about how I had operated. And I feel like God was just pressing me, squeezing it out of me one more time. Doug, you don't have to be the sufficient one. I want you to trust in me. I watched my dad really go through the olive press when my mom was suffering with Alzheimer's. I mean, there's something about your dad and you watch him and he's so strong and able, so capable. And now he has a sick wife who he watches for the next 10 years. And there were times when he didn't handle it well and he had the sense that God was just squeezing it out of him. When she got really sick, she was kind of almost curled up in that position. It was tough, tough to watch. And then she died. And every day, um, he missed her. But God wasn't wasting that time on my dad. I'm so grateful that God never gave up on him. My dad had a rough start in life and, you know, married into the church. But God was doing something in him. In those three years after her death, I watched my dad grow more and more tender towards him. 
And in the final months of his life, before he would have the car accident that would eventually lead to his homecoming last January, I watched as God was doing something really special in his life and just taking all the stuff of what it looks like to be a man beginning to really help him be fully who God wanted him to be. I don't know what your olive press is, but I've prayed and I've asked God to do something and it seems like I didn't hear from him and yet I was able to look back and watch how he has, he wasn't wasting my failures. He wasn't wasting my pleas for help. He wasn't, although it seemed like he was silent, he wasn't distant, he wasn't gone. But he needed to do this to me because only in this process with that which I no longer needed and needed to shed would be left behind. We leave this behind and God does something special in us. You know, Paul says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transform is the word where we get the concept of metamorphosis. You know how the caterpillar becomes the butterfly? You know how the acorn becomes the oak tree? It's the same person, if you will, just different form. How the olives become the olive oil. This is the same person, but a different form. And what I've realized over the years is that God's not wasting what's happening with me. He's finally changing me into the form that he needs me to be so that I can be fully ready to be used by him. How does that happen? In my pain, I turn to prayer and I let God do what only God can do. To God be the glory. This concludes our teaching today. We hope that you have been strengthened and encouraged. For more information about North Hills Church, visit www.northhillschurch.us.